Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly sermon podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. From Lisa and me, we just want to wish you and your family a Merry Christmas. We thank you uh, so much for joining us and being with us today. I want to read from the Christmas story of uh, Matthew chapter 2. It actually is occurring after the birth of Jesus, but in chapter 2, verse 1, says, in the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star in the east and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, He inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When when I was in seminary, there was a tremendous, uh, I would say like a theological conflict or fight over, was was this even a possible story? And uh, I, I haven't often spoken on it at Christmas, but I was, I was reading a couple of my favorite theologians, and, and one had actually preached a sermon from this where he talked about the post-Christmas stress syndrome and said that uh, of all the, the people who had a, 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 a stress after Christmas, it would be Herod, who is now fearing for his throne. He's fearing for his life and and then another one that I was reading, reading about began to unpack a bit of how historically accurate this, this whole story is and also how important it is. So one of the things that about 50 years ago, people were saying there's no way that any wise men or philosophers or these kind of intellectuals would have traveled to Israel, to Jerusalem. And uh, you know that the, the, the idea or the, the practice of these wise men, they were, they were basically astrologers. And, and they, were, they were considered the wisest people of their day because they studied the sky and they studied the signs in the sky. And one of the most prevalent beliefs in the day of Jesus' birth is that there would be signs in the heavens at either the birth of or the death of a great king. And so these these extraordinary events of birth or death of great leaders were in in the ancient mind, they were accompanied by signs in the sky. Now, one of the reasons that this was given such reinforcement was that in 44 B.C., 
when Julius Caesar died over his funeral pyre, a supernova took place. And so the whole uh, uh, profession of astrology and reading the stars had an incredible boost because here, here they had said there were to be signs in the sky when a great leader, a great king passed away and there was one. There was a supernova when Julius Caesar died. But there was, there was a little more specific when it came to Judea, to the land of Judah. And that there was a rumor, there was a, a, a sort of a prophetic type anticipation in the world, not, not, not from a biblical standpoint, but from a worldly standpoint, there was a, uh, there was a notice that was given that a great leader would come from Judea. The historians Tacitus, Suetonius, even Josephus referred to this great leader coming out of, out of Judea. And so later on, one of the Roman generals, Vespasian, he had been sent to Judea to quell a rebellion among the, uh, the inhabitants of Judea, and he brought them back under Roman control. And so when he began to petition and, and seek to be the leader in Rome, one of his qualifications was that he fulfilled, having, having had this great victory in Judea, that he fulfilled that qualification that had been spoken of. So it's, it's not at all a, a historically inaccurate. It's not a, a legend or a myth about the wise men traveling to see Jesus fits in very well. As a matter of fact, uh, it is known that around the birth of Christ, there was this rather extraordinary conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn that took place that would have driven the astrologers crazy to see this awesome sign in the sky so that they would come and seek a leader, a ruler, in Judah makes perfect sense. But why would Matthew, who is not primarily just giving us history, why would Matthew include this as a part of the birth narrative of Jesus? I mean, what is he telling us about Christmas that can help us or, or apply to our lives today? Well, primarily he's talking about the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of Christmas. I mean, these are the leading thinkers. These are the, the philosophers of their age. And so what we have here is a contrast where Christmas is the wisdom of God and it, it and the wisdom of God stands any wisdom of any prevailing age on its head. And why is that so important? Well, it's so important because in every moment of your life, you're living by what you believe is the wisdom, and it's that wisdom that navigates your life. Now, if the source of that wisdom is not God's wisdom, then it's not wisdom, it's foolishness. Because biblical wisdom is God's revelation of how to navigate your life well, but God's wisdom in Christmas 
can be seen to be utterly in contrast to the wisdom of any age. Every moment of your life, you're, lose, you're using wisdom, but are you using the wisdom of God revealed at Christmas, or are you resourcing your wisdom from this world and from this present age? So there's a few things in this passage that really come to light about the wisdom of Christmas versus the wisdom of this world. So the first one is, is this passage shows us that any wisdom other than God's wisdom is already out of date. It's already dated. Think about it for a minute. These magi, these wise men, they are the knowledge elite of their age. Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 1 a clear understanding of how dated even the present wisdom is already. Listen to what he says. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.20? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. So here was the great wisdom of the, of the age when Jesus was born, and they were astrologers. Their whole wisdom came from studying the stars. Well, I mean, 50 years ago, no one took astrologers seriously. Now, again, people are letting their lives be ruled by their horoscope, by the signs and their star signs and stuff like that. This kind of wisdom comes and goes. It's in fashion, it's out of fashion. And it, it proves an old adage that whatever is not eternal is eternally out of date. This, this is such an important truth that the experts of our day will look as foolish to our grandchildren as the experts of our grandparents' day look to us. See, it doesn't matter what age you live in. What people are putting forth as wisdom is already out of date. That which is not eternal is always eternally out of date. We're no different today than the limited wisdom there was in the 1950s or the 1920s. If you go back and you read uh, op-ed pieces, important wisdom in newspapers from the 1960s, you will just look at them as if they are foolish. And yet that was the wisdom of that day. As a matter of fact, in our digital age, so many people are finding photos of themselves, finding articles that they've written, things that can get them canceled today that they believed yesterday. And yet we have this kind of arrogance and this sort of pride that we are the unique generation, that we are the unique age. They didn't understand 50 years ago. They didn't understand 100 years ago, but we understand and yet 50 years from now, people will look at us and look at us with just as much disdain and just as much look at us as if we are just as ignorant as those that we have canceled out. 
Here's an interesting thing. Having studied theology for almost all of my life since I was a ninth grader, I study theologians from the early centuries of the church. I read the reformers of the 16th century. I read the English Puritans of the 17th and 18th century. I read a popular preacher who preached in London in the 19th century. And it's interesting, I still get tremendous benefit out of everything they say because what they say is consistent because it doesn't matter if they're from the second century or if they're from the 16th century or they're from today, they're saying the same things. They are still relevant and they are still consistent because the wisdom of God is relevant and consistent in every age and he shows up in every generation. So one of the things we see in the wisdom of Christmas is we see that the wisdom of Christmas is not dated. It is unchangeable and unchanging. It's eternal. But the second thing that I want to point your your attention to is that really and truly what we see about the wisdom of the wisest of the world of their age is that it is shallow. I mean, look at the whole picture of Jesus' birth. How is Jesus introduced to the world? Would anybody who had the goal of putting the name of Jesus into the, into the minds and hearts of every person who ever lived, would they, have, would they have introduced Jesus to the world from Bethlehem? It's not a major city. It's a peripheral village. Would they have invited to his birth the people that were invited? Every person that we know was present at Jesus' birth was an inappropriate person. There were shepherds. They were social outcasts. They were the lowest of the low. Nobody wanted shepherds. If they were going to make a splash, the shepherds would make the birth itself seem inappropriate. Wise men, these wise men, well, they, these are probably the rich. They're probably the elite, but they're ethnically the wrong people. They're not, they're not Jewish. They're of an international ethnicity. They are ethnically inappropriate to be there at Jesus' birth. Isn't that interesting? His own parents, when they go to offer a sacrifice for him, they, they only have enough money to offer the poor person's sacrifice. Here is the goal of God in the birth of Christ, to save the world. From his birth to the end of time, his name was to be made known to every human being. By the world's rules, Christmas wisdom is utterly wrong. But everything in the birth of Christ is completely right by God's rules. The worldly wisdom that you and I often tap into to navigate our lives will not navigate our lives well because worldly wisdom is so shallow. Think about the qualities that if you're promoting something or you're trying to make something successful, think about the qualities that we feel you must have. You must be attractive. You must somehow, somehow put forth an image of power. In many ways in our society, appearance is far more important than substance. Hype over 
genuineness, fame, branding, things like placement. These are all utterly absent at Christmas because the Bible says this, beauty is fleeting, charm is vain, riches are headed for the dust. This is why in many ways that people do not really want to follow Jesus because following Jesus is not a shallow thing. Following Jesus is not something you can start and stop. It's something that once you put your hand to the plow, once you, once you make that commitment and count the cost, then there's no turning back. And why is this so important? Well, Dallas Willard says that the intellect is one of the created realms of power. The human world moves upon ideas, on the idea how something, how something is perceived by us. Actions come from ideas. And actions, therefore, every action is coming from the mind and the heart of you and, and of me. But you see, there's a perversion in the world system. There's a, a shallowness built into the world system. And Satan exercises whatever power he has through this system. And he uses it in relation to human affairs. Think about how he perverted the ideas of God and of life and a relationship when he approached Eve. When he came to tempt her, he first asked a question. It was an intellectual approach. He said, has God said that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Intellectual approach. So a question, but then he proposes a lie. You will not surely die if you eat of this tree. And then he moves to a lying attack upon God's character. God does not want you to be like him. And so in believing the lie, acting upon the lie, using the intellectual powers and that sphere of power, that we have as human, we choose a lie over the truth. We choose the shallow, the quitting over the difficult, the sacrifice, the surrender, even perhaps the suffering. You cannot follow Jesus and stay shallow. Even Christmas reveals in a powerful way that God didn't do anything in a shallow way. That he didn't do it for hype. He didn't do it for branding. He didn't do it for those who would just quit. He did it for those who would follow. Now, the third thing that I see uh, as I studied this passage about the wisdom of Christmas is that it's clear that the wisdom of the world, even of these top intellectuals of the world, was inadequate. Why is it that we look to experts? Well, we look to the experts to show us how life works. We consult. We look on the internet. We try to find somebody who's an expert in a field. When Lisa's diagnosis came in, immediately I went and started reading about the specific uh, tumor, about the specific kind of, 
of mutation of cell that she was experiencing. And I, I read immediately everything there was about the particular drug that she was going to use. And so we are people who when we don't know how life works or something in our life works, we look to the, to the experts. And one of the things that you see in this passage that I think is so important is the wisdom of this world can diagnose the problem, but the solutions, the deeper, more powerful solutions are not available to us in this world or from this world. I, I, I do wonder at times why people who are basically kind of anti-faith and kind of more or less independent in their own sense of morality and, and how they want to live uh, according to whatever it is they want are, are often still very um, uh, open and, and, and love Christmas because Christmas, in a way, you have to see is God saying there is nothing in this world that is adequate to save humankind. There's nothing in this world that we can avail ourselves that there had to be God himself becoming man in the manger in order for there to be salvation. Christmas is a clear statement that we are so evil and so lacking in the ability to save ourselves that Jesus had to die for us. And at the same time, it is clearly the statement that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, why do I say it's inadequate from the story? Because what happens a lot of times in those of us who watch the Christmas pageant, we don't realize the star never is the thing that leads them to Jesus. The star leads them to the region. Remember, there was a rumor that there was a great leader coming out of Judea. There was an amazing kind of sign in the heavens. So they, they, they immediately came, but they didn't know where to go and the star didn't lead them there. The scripture says they, they got into the area, but they couldn't find the king. And so how do they find the king? Well, the scriptures lead them to Bethlehem. Their wisdom, you see, told them they needed a king. Their wisdom told them that there was a king, but it could not lead them to find the king. See, only by scripture, only by God's revelation could they know who the king really was. And that's still true for you and I. I've been reading and seeing research lately a number of research projects have said every area of your life is better with faith. There are studies that show that people who pray heal faster in the, in the hospital, have a greater positive experience of healing in the hospital. I recently saw a study that said clearly, and this is, these, are, these are secular studies, it's the families that go to church together, families that take their children to church do much better than families that do not. These are not people who are invested in church, but they looked at the data and said, this is one of the most helpful things in the life of your children as a parent that you can do is to take them to church. But here's the thing. The research can tell you the problem, but it cannot tell you how to find faith. And it cannot tell you what faith will make all the difference in your life. It can lead you to the area, 
but it cannot lead you to the king. See, the world through its wisdom, Paul said, did not know him, so the world in its wisdom cannot lead you to him. It is only as God is revealed in his word and only as God has revealed himself through his son do we get to know God. No other way. For many of us, one of the classic life verses is Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Anything less is inadequate. Um, one of the ways that I, I look at this is, is uh, in my life, I've, I've tried to understand how to be wise, how to navigate life well. It's something I've cared about even since I was a, a kid reading my Bible. I remember reading the story of Solomon. He was given choices, a long life, lots of money, lots of power. He was given choices, and he chose wisdom. And it always struck me of how blessed uh, the heart of God was that Solomon chose wisdom. And so it's always, it's always struck me that here he has not inadequate knowledge, inadequate understanding for us, but he has utterly adequate understanding. But in order for that wisdom to begin to manifest in your life, there has to be a humbling of yourself. There has to be a willingness to say, I will be led, I will be responsive, not I will lead God and hope he blesses me. So the wisdom of this world is not a wisdom you can rely on. It's inadequate for your life. And then the fourth thing, and I'll try to do this quickly as well, is, is when you look at the difference between the wisdom of Christmas and the wisdom manifest in the Magi, there's a, there's a radical difference. It's one you probably haven't thought about. But the wisdom of this world is actually very narrow and it's exclusive. Contrast it with the gospel, which is for everyone. Think about this. So the, the intellectual elites are invited to be first visitors or early visitors of the Son of God, but also the first visitors were the shepherds. And these two, this two in completely different intellectual and economic strata are brought together in exactly the same place. And to both of them, it is revealed that Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the desired king. The magi only come to know the king through the word of God. Uh, the shepherds, who were illiterate, religiously ignorant, they get the knowledge through angelic revelation. But if you think about it, if you think about this clearly, the wisdom of the world is only for the wise. It's only for the brilliant. It's only for the elite. If you've ever read philosophy, I mean real philosophy, you realize this is almost indecipherable. It's, it's, it's possibly the most difficult stuff to understand that there is. You have to be elite to understand philosophy or to read a philosophy book, a real philosophy book. But the gospel is complex enough for the elite and simple enough for the shepherd. I mean, verse 26 of that first 
Corinthians 1 says, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the the lowly things of this world and despised things and the things that are not. Now, a perfect picture of this for me is Mary, the mother of Jesus. I mean, Gabriel, the angel, comes to her and says, the whole world is going to be changed by what's going to happen with you, by, by the Holy Spirit coming upon you as a virgin and you giving birth. And, and, and Mary receives this news, and she's, she doesn't just blank out. She goes, how can this be? And you think about what is being said there. So the, the most important person who has ever lived, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to come through this Mary. Think She's a woman. And in those days, women were not treated with much respect. They weren't considered, uh, even in sometimes as a person of any weight or value. And yet here is an angel saying, The most important thing that's ever happened is going to happen through you. But she wasn't just a woman. She was really young. People say she's 15 years old, perhaps, or even younger than that. The other thing we know is she's broke. She's a poor woman. She has nothing. And she's about to become an unwed mother. And when she says, how can it be? Gabriel says, with God, nothing is impossible. This kind of wisdom that's the opposite of the world's wisdom, which is dated and shallow. This wisdom that is inadequate or this wisdom that's actually pretty narrow and exclusive. Opposite of this wisdom starts with an unlikely person, this teenage girl by the name of Mary. And with those words, with God, nothing is impossible. That is the the wisdom of Christmas is that there's hope. There's hope for everyone. When When you hit certain stages in your life, when you hit certain things in your life and you realize what I've known so far is inadequate, what I've known so far is not enough, it's shallow, The challenges are so great, they're overwhelming and you feel powerless or you feel hopeless. There's this aspect that comes in and says, okay, you're in a good place right now. Because now you can look and say, it's not about me and it's not so that I can boast. I actually qualify because I know now that I am not wise. I know I'm not strong. I know that I'm not rich. And it was for me, the one who was not strong, not wise, not rich, that Jesus has come. The good news of the gospel is for everyone. Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope that you have a fantastic day celebrating Christmas with friends and family. And we look forward to being back together in person next week as we celebrate the new year at our services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Merry Christmas.